when I woke up in hospital, the nurse said, what have you done? And I said, well, I think I've broken my femur. And she said, no, you've lost your leg above the knee. I knew then that everything that I wanted to be since a small boy was was over. You know, that was just the, the start of me sort of going to a shit place, really. I mean, I just started drinking, you know, quite a lot. And I thought, well, this is going to be my lot. Well, I was getting fitted for a prosthetic. Anyway, I went and tried, sat in, in the hospital, put the leg on. And I said, no, I'm never, ever going to wear a prosthetic leg because it, the feeling was horrible. And then with that, this little red-haired girl came running in. She could have been no more than three or four. She had no legs and she ran straight in front of me. She had a big smile on her face. And at that moment, I thought, well, get a grip of yourself. Paul Skivington, I saw a picture of you. It's at the Reorg Open. I'll just set the scene for people that don't know. It's a jiu-jitsu competition, slightly niche pursuit where people try and choke each other and, and break each other's arms and legs, and then they're friends at the end. But this one, the real one, is, is one with a difference because it's open to all ability levels. The photo that I think was everyone's favourite photo from the day was you and Scott Burnham on the podium, proudly holding your prosthetic limbs. Yeah. yeah. That was awesome. Was this your first competition for you? Uh, it was my first disabled competition so i'd normally compete against able-bodied as a middleweight so that there is some advantages to having one leg but no this is my first ever para jiu-jitsu comp and it yeah it was, it was amazing so you normally compete against able-bodied people yes and how does you can't see from where you're sitting now but are you got one leg how yeah. does how much of a disadvantage is this how have you got on in able-bodied i think i've had uh, six matches won one, lost five. But, you, you know, it's not about that for me personally. I mean, it's something that my kids can come and watch me, you know, just scrap. <laughs> but, you know, in, in a in a controlled environment, it's, it's great for them to see no matter what injuries or whatever you're overcoming, you know, you get on the mat and, yeah, okay, I've got one leg. But actually that first few seconds, my opponent's trying to figure out, oh, shit, he's got one leg. So then there's a, you know... a an advantage in that way you know I'm a I'm a reasonably big guy you know would probably walk around at about 90 kilos but because I've got one leg I compete at middleweight so 82.3 so there's a bit of a strength advantage so you know it depends on which way you look at it there are definitely some disadvantages you know I can only pull guard <laughs> but, the, but the rest of it you know it's yeah, on the ground it's a good old scrap so pulling pulling guard is is one of the options people have in jiu-jitsu so this is when you go to your back and you work all the stuff you can do from your back. So is that is that sort of your get-go from the beginning then? you? I've generally found that it's where I'm going to end up. <laughs> you know, the, the minute my opponent starts, you know, using their mobility against me, then, you know, it's only ending one way with me on my back and them on top. So, you know, my, my defensive game's pretty sound. <laughs> yeah, because there's no, there's no getting around the fact that staying on one foot is tough compared to staying on two feet, right? Exactly, exactly. And it is super easy to pass my guard. <laughs> as soon as they switch on to that, actually, he's got a leg, his left leg is missing. Let me just go that side. It's like four points, four points, four points. So, you know, I'm hanging on to the neck for dear life and jabbing my stump into their gut. <laughs> the, be the best thing about the best thing about military guys is there's no there's no kind of messing around with politeness. No. And the stump, if it's a if it's a weapon, if it's what you've got, you're just talking about your proudly talking about your stump. Get your stump in there. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I can't wait for the uh, the real open photos to be released because I think there's a great one of me and Scott, and I'm in mount, and I've got my stump in his neck, and I'm pulling his gear. <laughs> 
literally trying to choke him. And his, his, his professor said to me, and he said, oh, I've never seen that move before. <laughs> Did you know each other before? You never met before? No, no, never met. I mean, we sort of mixed in similar golfing circles because that was the sport I played before. Uh, yeah, so I never actually met him until we sort of met at the, the uh, real comp. And so you have a you have a tough scrap and then you yeah. know, mates afterwards, is that how? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was amazing. I mean, and actually, in all fairness, it's the same. I don't think I've ever come across a bad person. I had a, you have a great scrap on the mats and come off, and, you know, it's just, it's two-way respect. Yeah, it is. I think that's that can be quite hard to understand because the whole sport, whether it's competing or not, it's a mixture between friendly and violent, suppose, yeah. which, which can be hard to convey to other people because you think if someone's trying to choke you unconscious, it's not going to, you're not going to get on well. But yeah, I mean, jiu-jitsu clubs are always like the friendliest places. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and if you get choked or, you know, you get armbarred, for example, it's a lesson learned. You know, that's what I try and take from my jiu-jitsu game. I, because I've got a, a left leg missing, my left arm is always hanging out and I, I get caught on the, in an armbar quite a lot, which, you know, that's my thing I'm trying to work on now. But they're, they're the lessons that I get from white belts and, you know, brown belts, the guys I train with. You know, it doesn't matter who it is, I'm always going to get caught in some way. And it's a lesson that I take away and try and get better. Yeah, I guess that's that's the case, really, whatever ability level you're at. When you start, it's tough. Yeah. And, and you know, you get taught lessons all the time, I guess, the best way of looking at it. Yeah. It's a positive way of looking at it. Beaten up yeah. is, is another way of looking at it. But, yeah, so it's all, it's all... And I think if you don't have that humility, it's very hard to, to do anything. So do you mind going back a little bit to your yeah. injury? How long, how long what, who did you serve with? First? So I was a uh, sapper, Royal Engineer. And I serve with nine parachute squadron Royal engineers. So I was airborne. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I had a motorbike crash in 2001, um, completely my own fault. Uh, and it resulted in me losing a leg. Um, and yeah. Um, so this is why, so you, it was while you were serving, but, yes. you, but you had an accident, just nothing yeah, to I, do with. Well, I, I wasn't traveling from, traveling back to camp on duty, but uh, yeah, it was, it was completely my own fault. So I got med discharged after doing a couple of stints of Headley Court. Yeah, and, and, and that was that, really. So back in 2001? Yeah, just before it all kicked off. <laughs> I'll ask you a really stupid question. If you injure yourself, if you get injured sort of in the line of duty as opposed yeah. to an accident, does, yeah. does it make any difference in terms of how you're treated by the army? Um, no, I don't think it does. I mean, I, I mean, I know you hear some horror stories about how guys are treated, but actually, my squadron and and the army were very, very good to me. So I think, you know, I think it's the, I think it's the same. I mean, I went through Headley Court. I mean, when I went through Headley Court, there was no prosthetic centre, so because I, I did my arm as well, I damaged my arm as well. So I think you're you're all in there. It doesn't matter what you were, how you got there. You know, you just all go through the system. Yeah, most of the people I've spoken to, they've not sort of said that they were badly treated it's more the fact that you know you get a certain level of injury and that's that's your career over yeah what doing what you were doing so how how was that for you was that kind of yeah it was, that was that, that was hard you know I, I mean I knew but like when I woke up in hospital and I, uh, the nurse said what have you done and I said well I think I've broken my femur and she said no you've lost your leg above the knee and I, I knew then that Everything that I wanted to be since a small boy was was over. So that was that was tough. 
And what what age are you at this point? I was twenty three. Twenty three. So you yeah. Know, so what was that? What was that like psychologically? I mean, being in that hospital bed and knowing, faced with that reality. It was pretty shit. <laughs> it, 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 it was bad. I mean, it was bad because everything everything was on me. It was my fault. You know, I couldn't blame anybody else apart from from myself. And I knew that. And I knew that the, the book stops here. And you know, it's taken me a long time to accept that. And nobody's going to say anything bad to me, bad to me that I haven't already said to myself. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm over it now. You know, that's that's ancient history. But I was really hard on myself at the beginning because I knew that I messed up big time. My career was over. Life as I knew it was over. You know, that was just the the start of me sort of going to a shit place, really. But how kind of long and dark did it? Well, yeah. I mean, I just started drinking, you know, quite a lot. And I thought, well, this is going to be my lot because I didn't, I, n- I never saw people with prosthetics because obviously blokes weren't coming back injured. And I, you know, I, I tried to, I mean, this is the story I tell and, and it, it is a, it's a 100% true story, but it was my my epiphany. I, so I lost my leg in the February and come the April, I was getting fitted for a prosthetic and I couldn't use, I couldn't use normal crutches because I've done my arm in and I was just, really flat anyway i went and tried went to bournemouth hospital tried on my prosthetic leg sat in in the hospital put the leg on and i said no and i got my mum to get in my wheelchair and I, she wheeled me out i said I'm, I'm never ever going to wear a prosthetic leg because it, it, the feeling was horrible and i was in my wheelchair my mum was talking to the prosthetist and then with that this little red-haired girl came running in she could have been no more than three or four she had no legs and she ran straight in front of me and she had a big smile on her face and at that moment i thought all right get a grip of yourself and then, then I started to wear the prosthetic. And then, although mentally I wasn't recovered, but I, you know, I sort of thought, right, you're not going to be in a wheelchair all your life. You, you know, there is some kind of light. And yeah, that that was the first step to not recovering. But you know, it was it was the first positive I'd had in you know about four months. So you're just sort of seeing that little girl run through, almost like she'd been sent. To- yeah, it was, it, exactly. I mean, I'm not a religious person at all, but you know, just to see that, and it, it happened at exactly the right time. And then, you know, a couple of years ago, I got to pay it back to a. I saw a mum walking out with a small baby or a small child, similar age, who had one leg. And I could see the child walking. The mum was obviously distraught seeing her baby and thinking, what's this life going to entail for this child? And I just went to the mum and I said, it's going to be fine. The baby's going to be fine. You could see she was smiling and, and it felt really nice. It come full circle that I was able to give back and just, you know, give a bit of positivity. And that's what I try and do now, like through my social media and stuff, is just like try and be positive, do loads of fears, do jujitsu, just to show people that no matter what, you can do it. Or, or at least you can do it some way. It certainly works, all your socials. Legless nine, by the way. Is, yeah. the, is, yeah. the, is the nine any significance or were just all the leg, other leglesses had gone when you, when you got squadron. your social? Nine squadron. Nine squadron, sorry. Okay, good. I should be paying attention. Um, yeah, because there's—I mean, there's one particular. There's a video which is viewed a ton of times where, of you hopping down yeah. towards towards the um into the sea. A very strong hop, by the way. Thank you. Are you, are you. Uh, I don't think I could hop that far. And do you um? Are you always on prosthetics when you're not training? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, the only time I, I put it on when I get up in the morning. Uh, well, I take it off when I spin on my bike, spinning bike, obviously, uh, and I take it off to uh, do jets. Uh, but the rest of the time, it's on. 
And do you and you you get around fun with it? You don't because you have people get a lot of pain often with um, prosthetics. Is it? I mean, now I'm 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 fine, but you know, I went for about eight years of having crap legs and just having a really terrible socket. You know, I think it's all part of the process because psychologically and this this is probably the, the greatest takeaway I, I could give to new amputees would be you're never going to have two legs <laughs> it's never going to feel the same and the feeling of wearing a prosthetic is completely alien and it does take time to get used to it but once you're used to it and you sort of realize this is the new normal you, you can move on but if you continually looking back which i did for a long time thinking oh crikey you know it's, this isn't the same i can't just break into a jog i can't just you know you have to plan things slightly more ahead but once you overcome that barrier of I haven't got two legs anymore, then, you know, things kind of improve. <laughs> so so a sort of mixture of physical and psychological barrier, I guess, because you've got to physically get used to it and you've got to accept, I guess, the fact that, that this is you from now on, right? I mean, I wouldn't wear shorts for about five years. I was, I was horrendously embarrassed of like my leg and the scars I got on my arm. It, it, was, it was odd because I was quite a confident out, and I think probably that was why. I was confident, I was outgoing, and then quite a robust strong dude and then lost a leg damaged arm and lost a lot of weight and you know sort of retreated into myself yeah I think no I I had a I had a point much I had a bad leg injury and I, I there was a point where I feared I could lose a leg and this was long before being involved with reorg and all this kind of thing and meeting people like you and because I didn't know anyone that had lost a leg I remember just thinking well that would be my life over yeah. This is this is sort of this is a sort of mentality I guess a lot of people have. I, I wouldn't be able to cope with that yeah. kind of thing. And I guess no one can come and tell you, oh, you should be happy you've got one leg. But yeah. like, I guess all of this is about kind of seeing what you've got and Yeah. Well as soon as soon as I as, as soon as I accept it, I mean it was my mate said to me, he said, Well, it's you. <laughs> this is you now. And you know, and then I thought, okay, right, and I put shorts on, we were on holiday in Lanzarote and and, I, and then I did it. And it was just like it was that. But it was a me overcoming something internal. It was nobody else was putting it on me about, oh, God, look at that guy. He's got one leg. You know, it was, it was all in my head. And the minute I overcame that, then, you know, my life, again, it was, it was, that was another, another positive into my recovery. Was there kind of a point, because you, you mentioned like the little girl and stuff, but was there a point in your recovery when you really went for it? Because another one of your taglines on your socials is, rethinking disability and i think that's yeah. what not not only an individual who's faced with it but the rest of us yeah. have to do not to look at people and think oh well this has happened therefore you're in this category of people who can't do very much and, and whereas yeah. you know you can you actually realize you can not only get on with your life but you can you can learn new skills you can you can to the point where you can be able-bodied people in jiu-jitsu yeah. competitions you know was there a kind of point where you still realize hang on there's there's a hell of a lot of me left and i can do a hell of a lot with it yeah so, so i mean the biggest moment for me was when i had my son and i kind of realized that every all my thought processes up to that moment was everything was in the past tense you know i used to tell myself this, i used to do this i used to be a paratrooper you know and everything was back 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 and that's nothing i'm not giving my son anything if I'm just always referring to me before. So I, you know, I, I started to play golf and then I started to compete at playing golf, which that for me was the, the biggest change in my whole life was competing again. Because the beauty of the game of golf is the handicap system, you know, a 28 handicapper can play 
a scratch golfer and you can have some kind of you can have a game and that feeling of competing and no one's no one's thinking about the leg or the arm you know you're just thinking about me taking this next golf shot was quite liberating that 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 for me coupled with having a son they all happened at sort of a similar time my my life completely changed competition and children <laughs> how long ago is your son born hey, 14 years ago so years ago. yeah yeah I, so I, I had just turned 30 when I had him okay um, so five six years seven years after you'd yeah after your injury yeah it's still quite a long time right yeah yeah it, I mean it, it was a long time you know it wasn't sort of like always on a, a downward trajectory in those seven years it was just that I was just accepting what I was and I wasn't pushing myself I mean even though I went to university you know when I left didn't have a clue I went and did architectural technology HNC at university did, went to college did like a design draftsman course so, you know so like academically and, and, and I'd found a new career but for me you know in my head I'd always revert back to nine squad and sapper <laughs> do you know what I mean and, and it was that's that's not healthy that's not healthy to always revert back to that that type of person not that that's anything bad with that but when you're you know late 20s you, you want to be sort of looking forward and building a future not just thinking right in 1998 I was doing this or I was doing that I wanted to be able to set a good example to the people around me yeah because you, you, your son doesn't want to just know who you were exactly. he wants to know what you are and what you you need to be you know setting example in your daily life rather than just exactly and, and you know we have to build resilience in, in everybody you know and, and, and life isn't easy and you don't know what's around the corner tomorrow but you know if you're breathing you know this you can do something be grateful and just try and smash it and I know that's easy to say that but I thought my life was over in 2001 fast forward now I wouldn't change a thing I, I, I am living the best life. You know, I'm I'm happy. I, I, I think I'm a good parent. You know, I'm a good role model to lots of people. I've been a boxing coach. You know, I, I've I've helped lots and lots of people along the way. And and I think it's through them seeing me with one leg and a dodgy arm. But, you know, like I used to take great pride in going to, I used to be a boxing coach and just being the fittest person on the sandbag or, you know, smashing the um, circuits a lot harder than you know all the boxes and I used to I used to relish on that thinking they, they would look at me thinking look at that guy he's got one like if he can do it I can do it and that's where you know the rethinking disability comes from it's just like well, if he can do it and I don't mean that in a negative way but if he can do it I can do it yeah well definitely I mean there's definitely because the, the amount of people you talk to who the reason they don't do a thing could be martial arts, whatever sport they've always, there's a reason because everyone's got some injury. Yeah. Haven't they? Everyone over the age of 35 has got like yeah. a bit of a knee or something. Yeah. So it's whether you take that as an excuse or a yeah. reason to stop or, or whether you just find a way around it and seeing people with bits missing training yeah. harder than you is a damn good pick up the arse to anyone who might think their own little exactly. problems are enough of a reason to stop exactly and that's not that's not to belittle other people's problems because you know everybody's everybody's got something you know you don't know what's going on behind behind those doors people are always struggling in their own way but things like jiu-jitsu you know it's an escape the minute you you know you get in the gym and you're on the mat it's amazing you know it's it's if you know you're not thinking about anything else other than stopping that bloke from choking you <laughs> and that's all you think about for, for very, that hour it's a very good way to focus the mind if someone's trying to deprive you of your breath exactly. it's like it, it, it pushes every pushes yeah. all your other small concerns out of the way at least for, yeah. 
at least yeah, exactly. for a time and then you go back to look at them again and you can you know look at them with fresh eyes yeah. I, can, I can still breathe things are okay for now yeah yeah it's funny like because a lot of people might think martial arts is harder than golf i've never played golf but i'm trying to imagine i can i can imagine just from watching that that must be quite tricky right yeah swinging how do you how do you get about your swing the thing about, the thing about golf it's all on you Nobody else, you know, jujitsu at least. You say, oh well, he was bigger than me, he's stronger than me, or whatever. But golf, you've got the same clubs, you've got the same balls, <laughs> you know, you've got a target, and if you shank it or whatever, you know, it's, it's on you. You have changed something. It's 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 a tough game, and when you get into it and you explore golf, it's it, it takes up a hell of a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, this is the, yeah, this is the thing. I think uh, yeah, yeah, a, a lot a lot of people I know play golf, and it's. I think sometimes it's 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 yeah. getting away for a whole day from yeah. domestic yeah. life. Yeah. I know I know people who only started playing when they had kids. You know, when yeah. they domestic. <laughs> you, <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe they just all found found it a bit much and suddenly need need a few hours to themselves. Yeah. Did, did you have did you have did you have anyone showing you how it could be done with one leg, or did you have to work that bit out yourself? No, actually. So there was a, there is a uh, a charity called the On Course Foundation. And it was started by a guy called John Simpson, who was Nick Faldo's manager. So he was, but he he had polio as a child, so he was on calipers, and he understood the power of competition and sports. And he he went to Blesma, the British Limbless Ex Servicemen's Association, and they did some kind of joint event. And then he thought, right, I'm going to make a charity up. And he started this charity, and you know, I was involved in that for a good few years until I broke my arm again, which means I had to stop playing golf. You'd get top level golf professionals coming to teach you and actually for the each individual it is it, completely different how you you know your body or your biomechanics of an above knee amputee and a below knee amputee are different to a, a double amputee so they have to tailor the tuition to you as an individual so that's the question yeah i got i got i got good coaching <laughs> you got good, yeah yeah the, the, the very best coaching yeah yeah what, what, what point did you get into martial arts then so I was I was a boxing coach for about six years. And like I said, I broke my arm and my son used to box. And my daughter did a little bit, but I really wanted something for my daughter. Yeah, I just, I wanted, I wanted, because for me, I I think that as a parent, probably the great, one of the greatest gifts you can give, give your kids is the ability to defend themselves. So my son had boxing. I wanted something for my daughter and 25 miles away from our house was a jiu-jitsu school with Gracie Baja in Yeovil. And that's what, you know, we all joined and that was that. You know, I went on the mats once, tried it, you know, got choked out a few times, thought, all right, this is for me. And then, my, you know, my kids took it up and they loved it as well, or love it as well still. So did you go intending it just to be for your daughter or did you go thinking it was for the whole family? Well, my, I was definitely going to make my son do it as well. So I, but I thought, well, I'll give it a go as well. So it, it was definitely led by myself, but with my children in mind. And, you know, I'll do it if I, if I can. And, you know, the way the, the class schedule worked, it wasn't much of a difference for me just to hang on and do 45 minutes at the end. And that's what we did. And, you know, and was, like I said, as soon as I got on it, I didn't even get through the trial. I was like, no, sign me up now. We're in. Well, I, I have this conversation quite a lot because I, I take my kids to jiu-jitsu as well. And when I see like parents there a lot, but never training themselves, I sometimes say to them, you know, if you're yeah. up anyway, why, you know, why don't yeah. you? And then there's, there's always that, oh, well, wow, it's probably, yeah. I'm not sure it's for me. Okay. But, you know, if you're, if you if you're bringing your kids, you may if you can, you may as well 
yeah have a go yourself i think a lot of people have got to that stage of their life they don't want to do anything sweaty and embarrassing anymore you know yeah. like I, if i don't have to do it i won't but like yeah. bleeding by example has got to be the best way yeah but that, i mean that thing you know but, i mean i take my leg off at the side of the i mean it's, i used to be I used to be so conscious of my stump. It looks like a bloody boneless turkey. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's pretty grim to look at. But, you know, I take the leg off and I don't, you know, I don't give a shit. That boneless turkey's in your face if we're rolling. <laughs> <laughs> there you go with your military deli- yeah. <laughs> delicate turn of phrase again. Bone- boneless Sorry. turkey. No, it's fine. Yeah. It's good. It's, it's better to be like that because, you know, you... It's part of you. Get it out yeah. there. Everyone else. No one's. No one else is having to hide... Yeah. you know their hands or anything like that are they so why you know why yeah. should you but on a on a slightly technical detail is it because the this the stump can be quite a problem on in terms of putting weight down on it so do you is it like do they have like put skin around because no no I, I, I mean i so my my stump is it's a bit of a let's thing let's talk about i mean it is a lethal weapon you know so a jiu-jitsu move neon belly so I've obviously got stump on belly and it, and it is a, you know, if it's in the sternum in the femur and I'm putting weights through it, it's super uncomfortable. It is what it is. You know, it's not an illegal move. <laughs> There's nothing in the rules about not using no. your stump on someone's belly. No. Because a lot of people, I've, I said, when, when you see someone in their first class, you sort of often say to them, well, I'll see you again or, or not. Because yeah. some people, they do one class and they're like, it's yeah. not it's not it's not for me you know they're having their heads squashed people sweating on them and stuff they just it's not really for me but you were you were you were pretty sure it was you were in straight away were you yeah 100 percent. i mean as soon as i as soon as i did like the first positional sparring and was you know swept easily and you know i thought right i want to get better at this i want to be able to do that and how sorry how long ago was that now you're training you started training yeah about three and a half years three and a half years yeah and so you're blue belt now Blue belt, two stripe, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Which is pretty good. You know, my my first instructor was a blue belt years ago when there weren't that many yeah. black belts around. I mean, it's a decent, it's a decent grade. And I think people who do other martial arts and you kind of fly through the yeah. belts, they look at someone who's a blue belt and think, well, it's only the first belt you've been yeah. awarded. But it's a long, it's a long, yeah. hard road, jujitsu for anyone, really. Yeah, most definitely. So you know, there were bumps along the way, but and and can be frustrating but if you're just kind of let yourself go and enjoy it yeah exactly remove all ego and just remove all ego yeah 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 exactly just get yourself there just turn up that's all you've got yeah. to do well that's the same isn't it so it's, it's not it's not who's the best it's who's still there yeah exactly that. just keep just keep turning just, up yeah I'm at, I'm at the stage of my life when it, towards the end of a class i'll be thinking of the next day rather than kind of overdoing yeah. it again you're just yeah. thinking Am I okay to come back tomorrow? You want to come, yeah. come back the next day, rather than thinking you've got to get loads in today. Because I think you yeah. can you can overdo it, especially when you you know you're not 21 anymore. You can yeah. you can you can push yourself too hard and end up spending time off the mats. Which yeah. you know when we've had lockdowns and everything, it's the last thing you need is some kind of injury is the new normal when you uh when you start jujitsu though, isn't it? You know, there's always some something's niggling yeah your ribs are always gonna hurt yeah you know you're always I, i'm always have... like that as well hello with my neck <laughs> well i'm trying i'm trying now to be to to be always to as far as possible to be always feeling okay yeah you know, not not to wake up in pain because yeah i think i went through a lot of that 
at Blue Belt, you know, thinking this, thinking this is taking too long, train too hard. Yeah. But then, you know, you, anyone's going to get injuries. Every, everyone's got, yeah. you know, we've all got the same human body with frailties that bits will give. However tough you think yeah. you are, things are going to give. So I'm trying yeah. just to think, like, wake up feeling yeah. as loose as possible. Yeah, because yeah. I've, I've a tendency to get very sort of stiff and not move yeah. very well. Yeah. So when did you first hear about Real? Did you, would you, had you been involved with the charity no. before that? Before no. the Open? I mean, I did the the emergency service and armed forces competition a couple of years back in, at Fox's gym. And I think Reorg were there. Well, there was something about Reorg. I mean, I'd, I'd seen them. I followed Mark Ormeroid on social Ormeroid, media. So, yeah. yeah, so see a, see a bit of his stuff. But no, I saw the, as soon as, as, soon as there was a disabled class, because I, I'd compete anyway, but competing, I always like to compete at middleweight when I compete able-bodied, just because then I've got a, an, an advantage in my head of, strength whereas if i was middle heavy everybody would be my same weight and the same strength and i'm just going to get squashed for six minutes but when i found out there was an actual para class i was all over it and you know and it was it was brilliant unfortunately there were, there's only two of us but um you know i think the more the more events that are inclusive the better you know the better it can be a problem getting people in the you need sort of in exactly the right categories yeah because your your level of injuries, you know, amongst amputees, it would be considered like a light flesh wound for, yeah. for, for some people. You know, you've only you've only lost one leg. Yeah. Well, if, well, actually, technically, the flesh wound is a below the knee. Oh, is that right? If you've got an, if you've got a kneecap, don't you know you're a flesh wound? Oh, okay. Above, ab- above the knee is a slight grease. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. So I've I've, I've put, not put you in two lighter categories. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, this it, this this is another guy, um, Justin Levine, who um he has a spinal cord injury, so he's um paraplegic. But he's a great big strong guy and he kind of uses his upper body strength. Yeah. And yeah, he 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 was the one that introduced me to the term flesh wound because it was because yeah. it was used disparagingly for people <laughs> whose injuries weren't quote unquote that bad. Yeah. So okay, so it's got to be below the knee to be a flesh the wound. Knee. Blade so yours, yours above the knee, that qualifies as a proper injury, does it? Yeah, yeah. It's a slight grizz. A what? A slight grizz, you know. Grizz? Grizz, it's a bit, you know. But you got, mean, like, what's that word mean? I don't know that word. But you've got to put a bit of effort in. Right. You have to grizz it. Is this in that, I've, I've learned a lot of military terms that I didn't know. Yeah. But, but grizz, is a, grizz is a new one to me. Yeah, well, that means just to like... Like a niggle? No, it means just like you've just got to keep going. Yeah, it's not like a flesh wound who's like skipping in the meadows. It's like I'm dragging the leg behind me, grizzing it, walking oh, up okay. the hill. A slight yeah. grizz. Okay, yeah. that's good to know. It's the best It's the best attitude to take to all these things, though, isn't it? The way, you know, take the piss out of each other. Because the last thing you would want, I presume, is people to suddenly go, oh, oh don't, yeah. don't say anything. Don't, don't yeah. mean, you know, because it's nothing to me. Nothing to hide, is it? It's like I I remember one of my proudest moments is a there's a school party and we were on the beach and this little boy came up to me and excuse me, are you Anakin Skywalker? And I was like, yes, I am. (laughs) And I was like, it's amazing because kids are just like, wow, look at that robot leg. You Anakin Skywalker? Yes. Yeah, kids just deal with things better. It yeah, made me think. It made me think. What we said earlier. Um, a former colleague of mine's, his daughter, sadly lost um, lost her lower leg in a car accident. And I was talking to him about it. And as obviously as a parent, it was you know he was yeah. torn up about it. And, and I remember him just saying to me, he said, "She's fine with it. Yeah. We're the ones who are 
finding yeah. it tough. Because she was little, she just she just got yeah. on with her life and very quickly couldn't remember anything yeah. different. Whereas as parents, you know, they're looking at it, thinking, overthinking everything and thinking what if and all this kind of thing and trying to yeah. go back in time. But but children just a, a bit more matter of fact about things, I guess, aren't they? Just Yes, definitely. They don't have this kind of ruminating and fretting about stuff. But well, that's the thing, though. We do. Like, like when I was always looking back, that's not, that, there's no good comes from that. You know, always living the past. Nothing, you know, you just got to draw a line and the, so somebody who's had that injury soon quick quickly realizes that actually to move on yes reflect on stuff that's happened and learn from it but you've got to move forward and actually you can put that on anybody you know you've got to move forward and if you keep looking back it's it's not good but certainly with an injury i mean i i my mum was like she was saying oh you know how's your leg love how's your stump you know because the skin used to come away and all that kind of stuff and i had to say to her i said mum listen i walked around the golf course carrying my golf bag it's not going to get any better than that. For me, that's, you know, that's a huge achievement. You know, there's plenty of people that can't walk around the golf course carrying their golf bag, but I can. So, you know, I'm, I'm okay with it. You'd be okay with it. It's never going to be Paul with two legs. That's, that's gone. Paul's now got four legs, a running leg and eight feet. Do you know what I mean? In yeah. Group. <laughs> yeah. So, but, that, but that's it. Was it? Cause, cause you were, you know, just a kid pretty much when it, when it happened but did it did it make a difference that you sort of you know got your mum there and I mean that's obviously lived in the block as a as a soldier and then I only came home when I was not in heavy court and stuff but yeah I mean it was it was you know it was, it was nice because you want your mum when you're injured <laughs> but then I suppose at a certain point you have to think right hang on I'm still yeah. a, I'm, I'm a growing up what am I gonna yeah well it's Exactly. But then that's, you know, that's all part of the process because, again, I mean, I joined the army young. I was a, I was a boy soldier. So you leave home at 16, go in the army, and then you just back at 23, you're back, and you're a completely different person. You know, in those years, you've, you've changed immeasurably because you're not a child, you're, you're a man. But then when you when you have a, an injury, I mean, I, I had my arm like that for three months. So, you know, so, so you're actually reliant on somebody for pretty much everything. And then, you know, you sort of can't have I'm, a, I'm an independent person here <laughs> you know you, yeah. you actually you need help because you're either stuck upstairs you can't get downstairs or you know, can't get on the toilet can't get off the toilet all these things which you've got to overcome and it's quite nice to have your mum <laughs> yeah. send yeah. somebody else how, how well did your arm recover yeah not not too well so I got I got what's called compartment syndrome and that's basically where your muscles knot up and they cut off the blood supply so then had like a, a skin graft to release the pressure. Had quite a lot of metal work in it. Um, and then I broke it again when I was a boxing coach sparring. I didn't realise that the junction between the metal and the bone was a weak point. So that's not, and that actually what ended my golfing career because my arm snapped and I had to have another operation. So the arm is okay, but it's, you know, it's probably about 40% weaker. I'm left-handed, <laughs> but, you know, I bet it's there. I, you know, I've got dexterity. But it's not vulnerable from doing jiu-jitsu and things. It's just, it's just. Well, it, in all fairness, I mean, I don't. It's one of the things I don't mess about with. As soon as the arm's caught, I mean, I'm very protective of it. But if it gets caught, I'm, I'm I tap straight away. I don't, I made a don't even mess with it. Do you, I know we were talking about looking forward rather than back? Do you have, do you have fond memories of your time as a paratrooper? Yes. Yeah, but then you always look back with rose tinted spectacles, don't you? I mean, I it was a great time, and I, I yeah, I'll do everything all over again. You know, obviously make some changes, but yeah, I'm, I'm immensely proud. I mean, I was immensely proud yesterday watching 
Her Majesty's funeral. And I'm thinking, you know, I, t- I took an oath I, to the Queen. And I was proud of that. And, I, you know, I could convey that to my children. You know, I, so I'm exceptionally proud. I wouldn't change it. But that part of my life is, is gone. I'm now, you know, moving on to other things. Part of part of what Real does, does I mean, people who've had injuries is probably the thing that people notice most but partly it's about supporting people that find it difficult to leave because I think you obviously didn't choose to leave in the way you did but the the camaraderie you have this is what you hear from everyone the camaraderie you have when you're so and not just camaraderie but how focused you are on doing an important job you know it's hard to think of a more vital thing when you know you're putting your life on the line for queen and country as it was and and when that gets taken away some whether whether it's people injured and they have to leave or whether it's just their time's up or they've left for whatever reason yeah it can be it can be really hard and for someone like me who's never been in the military it can be it's hard to imagine just how kind of deep that bond is and how how it's difficult to find other things that test you and and make you feel as vital as when you are in the yeah. military. So, because because yours ended with injury, did you have similar sort of feelings, or were you just more thinking about your own situation, or were you? No, I mean you you, you do you you obviously when you're in the military, you are with somebody twenty four seven. You work, you socialize, everything is together. I mean the the, the bond you you can't unless you know it. You can't really explain it to somebody because you know everyone's everybody's got a best mate, every, you know. But actually, being in the military where you do everything together, the the lads, in my case, it was always with the blokes. The lads, the crack was immense. You know, it was it was it was awesome, and you can see why people want to hang on to that. But I was I was very aware and that actually I didn't want to be that guy that always goes back to every single reunion. Is that you know always there because I remember being a young sapper and the you know the the old sweats would come back and you just think come on move on you're you know this is our time now this is the thing you know you have your time there enjoy it but don't try and hang on to it that was for me personally you, you, know, you, not said, hang what, on. you said sorry what the old sweats had come back what was what yeah. does that mean so, so like when you're a young when you're a young 19 year old there then you'd get like the the guys that were there 20 years ago would come back and they'd be in the bar and you know and then are oh, the old know, sweats the, that means the yeah, older the guys old, older guys yeah right. and, and, you know because at the end of the day it's a it's a factory you know you're a number bam, 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 bam. and th- th- that was also another hard thing you know once you're out you're out that's it you go, you, you know you're gone and, and all like all care post-service is given by charities you know it's not given by the military mm. that's that, you know that's, that's quite a that's, that's quite a big thing it's tough, isn't it? Like uh, everyone I've spoken to, they're loyal, right? They're always, you know, if you if you ask a question about how they were treated, you know, because I've spoken yeah. to people that have left in all different ways, you know, yeah. people that have left because of PTSD, people have left of various reasons. No one wants to slag off the unit, you know. No, no, no one wants to because and they're always they're always very aware of if the conversation's going there. I'm yeah. loyal. I'm loyal to it. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean. Someone, someone like me can ask questions because I don't have the loyalty. But yeah. there are times when you feel more could be done. Particularly, what, one one thing that comes up is with PTSD. One guy I spoke to, he he was between tours and he was having some problems, and he he wanted to speak to someone. He wanted to speak to a therapist, but he found one outside. Yeah, and then 
and then sort of stopped seeing the therapist because he thought people might find out because he was worried that he would then be seen as someone with problems. Yeah. And, and I suppose it's, it's, it's difficult because you, you know, you, you want people to be able to talk about their problems, but also you need people who are ready to go and fight. Yeah. So I guess it's not surprising that, that it's a difficult thing for people to deal with. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think if you've got something missing, do you know what I mean? Then you've got, I mean, I, I'm very fortunate that, you know, I, I haven't suffered from PTSD, you know, my leg and everything has been internal for, you know, I've, I've come through everything. That's not to say that I didn't struggle with having one leg, but I think that's just part of the process, isn't it? You know, you, you have an injury and then you sort of, you get to the position where you are now, you're the new you, but guys with PTSD, I mean, I certainly now know that they, you know, the military's trying and they've had, They've opened all those, like Tedworth House is my local one, you know, where you can go and, and stuff. So I, I think that the military's trying, but, you know, it's like a cargo ship, you know, it takes forever to turn around. Yeah, anything, you, any, this is another thing here, anything you knew you want to introduce takes takes a long time. Yeah. And I suppose you, you want, the military's all about overcoming fears and weaknesses and getting on with the job. Yeah. And that's all, that's the right way to do it. But I guess there comes a point where people, if it's people kind of hushing up stuff that's wrong with them just because they don't want to put their head above the parapet, then. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm almost certain now that, you know, if, if somebody has a, a mental health problem that, you know, their their sort of immediate bosses will be all over that, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, mean yeah. I, I mean, I I left the army in 2004. In 2000, when did I say that? I, 2001, you said. Yeah, 2001, I left the army in 2003. Any, any other dates you want help with? or? Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad I knew the answer. Yeah, good. Yeah, so yeah, so I so I left in 2003. Yeah, that's right. So I left in 2003. But obviously, subsequently, it's obviously been a big drive in sort of the care of veterans. You know, so, so people are looked after better. I mean, we're like, so... When, for example, when I when I got my first prosthetic leg, it was a rubbish one. The one I've got now is an amazing one. So you can see like the the, the evolution of the care of veterans just through my prosthetic. But but and that but that's all through charity. You're saying no, no, that, that's not. That's through the the funding panel. So like medical stuff, but anything like okay, you know, like getting your your bathroom, getting a wet room in your bathroom stuff. You know, that was given. You know. Blesma helped me with with that. Do you know what I mean? So not that I would expect the Ministry of Defence to do that. You know, they've, like I say, you're a number, and then you're in on Monday, you're out on Tuesday. Somebody's replaced you by Wednesday. Do, do you know what I mean? It's it's got to be like that. You can't be this continued cycle of looking back. Do you hang out with a lot of ex-military, or do you? Not not no. re- not really. I mean, I see there's a couple of guys that there's a serving guy, and there's an a, there's a there's a veteran at jiu-jitsu so but not you know i don't purposely sort of hang around i mean you kind of gravitate towards those people anyway if you if you know if you're in a group you're you're going to gravitate to to those kinds of people anyway but no i mean i don't i mean i did actually funny enough at the beginning of the year i took a group of veterans because i'm massively into cold water took a group of veterans sea swimming and doing some breath work me and my brother which which was quite cool breath work yeah, breathwork and cold, cold swimming, cold water exposure. Oh, so the Wim Hof stuff. Wim Hof kind of stuff, yeah. Oh, how did you get into that? Uh, yeah, my brother actually. My my brother hurt his back. He got a, he got a rugby injury, and he sort of designed this cold shower system. But just for like, I mean, I've got a cold shower outside, so every, like every morning I'm in my cold shower because for me it's just amazing. And what does it do for you that? So what? Well, so the the benefits of cold water the first thing if the water is less than 15 degrees you go into your fight or flight 
because you, nobody really wants to get in cold water. But you overcome that, so it, it improves your mental agility, makes your heart heartbeat. But you know your cardiovascular system improves your cardiovascular system. It's good for weight loss. There's all sorts of things. But for me personally, I just feel amazing. As soon as I come out of the cold. Do you have to psych yourself up before you go in? Or are you just so used to it now that you're straight underneath it? Turn it straight on. And how long are you in there? I don't know. As long as it takes me to shower. Right. <laughs> oh, so always cold. Always cold. Yeah. You only have cold showers. But I treated myself. To a to a warm bath yesterday. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, because you're worth it. How how how, of, how often do you feel you're worth that kind of thing? Is it, is it so mostly cold? Most mostly cold. And and the breath work is holding a breath. I personally do so like that for thirty breaths, and then hold on the exhale and do that three times. And you'll find that you can hold your breath for about two or three minutes. It's good. This I did a podcast way back with guy called Richie Bostock he's one of he did um he did a Wim Hof course so I think he's yeah. like he's a guy in the UK that does a does a lot of that, does a lot of that kind of thing and he does seminars and stuff I was amazed how long I could hold my breath for yeah because I and, and I and I still do it and it's very easy you can if you're not if your mind's not in the right place after 30 seconds you could be like desperate yeah. desperate yeah. for breath but if you do it right and a lot it's a mental game really because exactly that he told me, and, and really correct, that you've got plenty of oxygen in your body. Yeah. It's just your you start to panic. You start, and that, and that's not your body running out of oxygen. It's just a, a survival instinct that you have that tells you that you must breathe. So you give into it. But if you can overcome that, yeah, that's the, that's the fight or flight thing. We talked a little bit about pain. Is breath work and cold water is is that a pain remedy to an extent yeah phantom pain has all but gone through cold water exposure really yeah for me personally so phantom pain you get pain in the limb that's no longer there yes and how bad did it get yeah pretty bad actually it was yeah it's horrible so pretty bad is that understatement for kind of all-consuming horror yeah so you'd be like a no like a five to ten second burst that feel like you've been electrocuted like, really yeah in, in your stump so that then that's how it happened for me but yeah since i've been doing the cold stuff you know for a couple of years i haven't had a, a bout of it or if i have had it it's not it's not bad so you get the phantom pain is obviously there's you know there's nothing you can do about it in terms of you can't you can't therapize a non-existent you, know, you have you, to you have to grizz it you have to grizz it you have to grizz it. Not only an important new word, but a good new concept of grizzing yeah. through things. Yeah, exactly. So you just grizzed through for a while, and then you heard about cold water therapy, and yes, yes, that, so, it's all but gone. I mean, I so I grew up by the sea, so I was always in the water. But like cold showering, that was my brother who um, who sort of got me onto it. And yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. So were you take before that? Were you taking medication stuff to fight it or? Well, I did. I used to take tramadol. So I don't know if you've ever had the experience of tramadol. It's like the worst drug ever. Um, Terrific. Yeah, it used to send me Dulali. And uh, yeah, so I used to be on that. Not, I mean, not all the time, but when the phantom pain was quite bad. And, that, you know, it would be like once a month. I'd have to take it, you know, for a day or something. But yeah, I mean, fortunately, I've not I've not touched that stuff for, for a few years now. Yeah, I, I was on the tramadol for a while. Horrendous yeah. drug. Doesn't even help yeah. with the pain. Just makes no. you makes you groggy and sad. And, yeah. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why they're prescribing it to people. No. I mean, I think opiates are, are, are one thing when you're in hospital recovering from an operation. I think you you probably do need 
something yeah. like that. But to to give it to you to use on a daily basis, which is what a lot of GPs will do, is crazy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And as I say, it doesn't even make doesn't even help with the pain after a while. No, I remember being on it and um, saying to the doctor, "I want to stop," and he was like, "Oh, don't, don't, <laughs> don't stop!" <laughs> so I just so I just stopped. Had and had really bad cold turkey. Yeah, for like one day, and then was fine. Yeah, and I was like, the pain was not even there. So I'm taking this stuff. <laughs> ruining my life for for no good reason so just making yourself a sort of drug addict for no reason yeah. it's crazy so yeah best to avoid the tramadol at all costs I yeah think. It's, it's, Get, have a cold have a cold bath or a cold shower yeah i mate. that's awesome listen so your socials your legless yeah. your legless nine on on everything on instagram yeah yeah or rethinking disability on youtube um, rethinking disability on youtube yeah, yeah and it's all the same stuff it's just me doing fizz and you know just getting that message out there that no matter what your situation is just give it a go well mate you're doing an amazing job and you definitely are making me and lots of other people rethink disability so Brilliant. fantastic paul skivington thank you very much cheers rich thanks very much mate